Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.56 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 8th of June, 2021. This is episode 433 of Bitcoin. And if you've been looking anywhere close at the news or or Bitcoin Twitter, then, then you see that something is afoot. Yes, and something is deeply afoot. It's the next round of FUD that we're going to have to deal with. And I mean, we can conjecture why, you know, the authorities are, are launching this kind of shit. What, how they've, you know, probably compromised Elon Musk to be their, I don't know, to be their weapon in need. And they've just, they deployed his ass a couple of months ago. Um, it may have something to do with laser eyes popping up all over Latin America and Central America, as I've been telling what's going to happen for a while. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why they're doing it. I mean, if they're this scared of losing control, then something was deeply wrong with the establishment in the first place. Of course, we all know that. We all know that that is, in, in fact, the, well, that is, in fact, a fact. There is something deeply wrong with the establishment, and I think it's imploding. I, is, is, that's kind of what I see. Now, how long will it take to implode? Oh, hell, I don't know. You know, sort of, sort of like when people say uh, stu- uh, things like sustainable agriculture. <sighs> that's a horrible thing to say. Why? I can sustain a shitty system for decades, man. I see, I, the, the, our farming in the United States has been some of the worst farming practices ever, and, and they really got going in 1971. That's how long you can sustain a shitty system without it completely collapsing. But I just, I don't know, man. I just, I get the feeling that things are imploding at the highest levels of organizations around the globe. And I, I, I honestly think that they're coming, to, that the establishment is coming to realize that they never really controlled that many people because now the people you know, of the world are starting to look around and, and ask fundamental questions. And I, I don't know, man, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be interesting to see, but let's start with, with this little piece of trash that we dug out this morning. Uh, apparently the uh, DOJ recovers $2.3 million worth of Bitcoin from the colonial pipeline hack. Yeah, I'm going to totally tinfoil hat this shit, man. Thomas M. is going to give us the rundown on what's going on. This is the latest piece of FUD. Uh, This is out of BTC Times. United States Federal Investigation Bureau, or Federal Bureau of Investigation, guys, it's the FBI, was able to recover part of the ransom paid by Colonial Pipeline, the operator of the fuel distribution company that fell victim to a hack, shutting down one of its key sites in the country back in May, 63.7 Bitcoin or approximately $2.3 million of the 75 Bitcoin, $4.4 million, I guess, at the time that it was actually paid. Uh, the ransom was recouped by the investigators with the hackers behind the attack identified as Darkside, a Russian group that has been on the Department of Justice's radar for over a year The hack of Colonial Pipeline's East Coast Pipeline caused widespread disruption on the regional oil market, with some stations in multiple states running out of fuel. This is not the oil market. This was the gasoline market. Come on, Thomas. Let's get it together, pal. This was not an oil pipeline. It was a fuel pipeline, okay? Although not the recommended route in most cases, the firm CEO, Joseph Blount, complied with the hacker's ransom demands and sent $4.4 million in return for decryption keys to relaunch the pipeline systems. As the Wall Street Journal reported, the decision to comply was made as Colonial Pipeline didn't know the extent of the breach or how long it would have taking to restart operations otherwise. 
Quote, there is no place beyond the reach of the FBI to conceal illicit funds that will prevent us from imposing risk and consequences upon malicious cyber actors, FBI Deputy Director Paul Abate, or Abate stated on the seizure. The rather positive outcome for Colonial Pipeline is not the norm, although close coordination between victims and investigators can sometimes yield positive results, FBI Director Christopher Wray told CNN last week. The exact steps taken by the FBI to recover the funds have been left rather vague. Although Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said on Monday that, quote, following the money remains one of the most basic yet most powerful tools that we have, end quote. In its announcement, the DOJ emphasized its praise of Colonial Pipeline's quick reporting to the FBI that it had been hacked by DarkSide, which allowed the Bureau to trace multiple Bitcoin transactions via chain analysis. The 63.7 Bitcoin that were later recovered, quote, had been transferred to a uh, specific address for which the FBI has the private key, end quote, according to the DOJ. That is just weird, okay? This is just weird, which is why I'll probably go full tinfoil hat here in a minute. Although it was not disclosed how the FBI acquired that private key, the seizure warrant issued by a magistrate judge for the Northern District of California, which led to the recovery of the coins, indicates that the FBI did in fact obtain the keys via a warrant against the holder of the private key. It is not clear who was the holder of said private key. However, as the keys were recovered with the help of a warrant issued for California, it is likely to be a financial institution, such as an exchange used by the hackers. Hacking a private key based on a public Bitcoin address is practically impossible. The general level of difficulty in acquiring a private key can vary drastically based on the owner's care in storing that key. If the hacker group sent the Bitcoin in question to a custodial wallet, which appears to have been the case, the recovery would have been easily achieved. As CNN reports, investigators were previously looking for any possible holes in the hacker's operational or personal security in an effort to identify the actors responsible. CNN further reports that the hackers involved with the Colonial Pipeline incident may have been inexperienced or novice hackers, rather than well-seasoned professionals referring to the three anonymous sources. You want to know my take? Let me get my tinfoil hat. My wife came back from a short trip and stopped through Roswell, New Mexico and actually bought me a tinfoil hat. It's cool as shit too, by the way. Let me don that little thing on and, and say the following. The FBI hacked the Colonial Pipeline. That's what I think. And then they recovered their own coins. Why? To spread just this kind of FUD. Why? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they had foreknowledge that a lot of Latin American uh, people or uh, uh, government officials in now six different countries were going to don laser eyes. I don't know. But this is bullshit. I did, especially this, especially this one sentence. Uh, <laughs> Bitcoin that were later recovered had been transferred to a specific address for which the FBI has the private key. Okay, this is just weird. And sure, maybe it's maybe it's they had the private key because they got it at you know at the warrant level, and it's. But honestly, I I don't think that this hacking group was that uh, novice or inexperienced. I think Darkside Hacking Group has been doing this for a long time. I don't think we know if it was the actual Darkside Hacking Group. I don't know if they're Russian. Okay, the, the whole Russian narrative being dragged into this is one of the things that gives me serious pause as to the veracity of this entire Colonial Pipeline story. I'm, I am now looking at the Colonial Pipeline hack as an inside job done for purpose by the FBI or the D Department of Justice or whoever inside the United States government to be able to throw serious credible FUD at Bitcoin because they can't stop it any other way. It's impossible to stop. It can't be hacked. Now that the problem with this story, the main problem with this story is the fact that people are getting it wrong. The FUD on the street from this particular news story, not just the BTC Times, but all the rest of them all put together, 
is causing people to think that the FBI is able to hack into Bitcoin private addresses. No, no, no. So however the FBI got the private key, they had to go get the private key. They did not go over to, I don't know, Los Alamos National Laboratories and sit down on their, you know, Cougar supercomputer or whatever they've got and hack Bitcoin. If that was, if we were able to do that, we'd have much larger problems around the world. The entire financial structure would cave in. I don't know how nuclear keys are, are preserved in, in cryptography, but if it's SHA-256, then that shit gets compromised. Everything is compromised. If Bitcoin gets cut, Bitcoin is the, the supreme canary in the coal mine. If Bitcoin gets compromised, everything is compromised. Just be aware. Now, inflation news. A lot of people say that inflation is not going to happen. Deutsche Bank begs to differ. I'm not a fan of Deutsche Bank, but they seem to be the only ones saying what needs to be said about inflation. They see it rising as a ticking economic time bomb. And this is written by Aki Atutubuki. I can't pronounce his name. Sorry there, dude. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine. Deutsche Bank has forecasted an economic crisis following the rise of U.S. dollar inflation, making it a rare institutional voice to do so. Contrary to the stance of many policymakers regarding the eventual effects of ongoing stimulus activities and decisions by the Federal Reserve, Economists at Deutsche Bank predicted adverse effects on inflation, especially to the most vulnerable in society, in a recent analysis reported on by CNBC. Quote, the analysis especially points the finger at the Federal Reserve in its new framework in which they will tolerate higher inflation for the sake of a full and inclusive recovery. Per the report, quote, the firm contends that the Fed's intention not to tighten policy until inflation shows a sustained rise will have dire impacts, end quote. Further quote, neglecting inflation leaves global economies sitting on a time bomb, a Deutsche analyst wrote. Following the rise of the COVID-19 crisis, the Federal Reserve initiated a major nearly $2 trillion inflationary stimulus package to bolster the shrinking economy. In this way, COVID-19 and the Fed directed many of those who are afraid of such inflation toward Bitcoin investment. With the global scale devaluation of fiat currencies around the world and rampant economic stimulus for policymakers, Bitcoin will become all the more important. With a programmatic supply and freedom from control of third parties like money printers, it represents hard sound money in a time when that is becoming more and more difficult to find. Yes, obviously. So Deutsche Bank being one of the very few institutional players that have you know some kind of credibility in the legacy financial market world anyway, uh, saying that what we're doing by printing money is going to uh, have inflationary effects. There's a lot of people in the United States that are Nobel, econ you know, Nobel laureate economists like Paul Krugman, who will tell you straight to your face that first, inflation is probably not going to happen. And if it does, it's good. It's good that they, that they you know, steal your time out of your bank account and you can't do dick about it. It's good. So yeah, I, I got hats off to Deutsche Bank for calling it like they see it. All right, Thomas M. is writing this one. We're getting into the Latin American news, okay? Because this shit did not stop with El Salvador. In fact, it dominoed real quick yesterday. Laser eyes are spreading across Central and South America. Thomas M. has this one from BTC Times. In August of last year, MicroStrategy set off what resembles a movement of institutions to get skin into the Bitcoin game. After Michael Saylor's firm bought its first $250 million worth of Bitcoin, it took mere months for various public companies to follow suit. Soon, even banks began getting more serious about Bitcoin, and a little less than a year later, Bitcoin has acquired a new image on the global stage, that of a viable store of value on par with gold. While Saylor can't take credit for the overall growth of the industry surrounding Bitcoin, he has played an important role in the last year, that of the first mover that many look towards from their boardrooms as they added Bitcoin to the agenda, often for the very first time. And in the last few days, some have noted a pattern very similar to what happened after MicroStrategy created a precedent for institutional Bitcoin buyers, but on a national scale this time. El Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele's announcement of a bill seeking to make Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador 
resounded across the world among Bitcoiners. It was met with excitement and encouragement to be expected as many Bitcoin proponents have long called for Bitcoin to become legal tender and a reserve currency. Yet many others reacted with skepticism and predicted that the country could get in trouble with the International Monetary Fund or with trade partners. Other criticisms have targeted Bitcoin's volatility, calling it unsuitable as a medium of exchange. Across the board, there are many opinions, but all of them are underscored by the simple reality that nobody really knows what will happen because nobody has done it before. With El Salvador going where no country has gone before, all eyes are on the Central American nation, and already Bukele's move seems to be motivating others to follow. A mere day after news broke of El Salvador's Bitcoin strategy, the Paraguayan congressman Carlitos Rejale posted a laser-eyed statement on Twitter, quote, as I was saying a long time ago, our country needs to advance hands or needs to advance hand in hand with the next generation. The moment has come, our moment. This week, we will start an important project to innovate Paraguay in front of the world, end quote. The addition of a BTC and PayPal hashtag has many people anticipating a Bitcoin payments project from the South American nation. Yet it doesn't stop there. On the same day, Fabio Osterman, leader of the new party, a libertarian party in Brazil, put on laser eyes as well, followed by Gilson Marquez, a member of Brazil's Chamber of Deputies, of all things. A few hours later, Gabriel Silva, <coughs> Silva, a congressman in the National Assembly of Panama, took to Twitter as well, commenting on the developments in El Salvador. Quote, this is important, and Panama cannot be left behind. If we want to be a true hub for technology and entrepreneurship, we have to support cryptocurrencies. Silva Silva announced he would be preparing a proposal to present to the assembly and invited the public to give input. The latest to show his support for Bitcoin is Francisco Sanchez, a member of the Chamber of Deputies in Argentina. Oh, good Lord, I just lost my place. Hold on, here we go. Okay. While the only clear statement of action so far has come from El Salvador, some have begun predicting an economic shift should Central and South America adopt the asset one way or another. Quote, if all these countries end up embracing Bitcoin, the geopolitical ramifications over the next 10 years will be massive. It will be a seismic shift in economic power to South America. Blockstream CSO Samson Moe commented on the developments. Okay, so I've been waiting for Latin American and Latin America and Central America to come online for quite some time. I didn't know if it was going to be them being the first mover or was going to be Africa, but I knew it was going to be somebody. And I'm happier. Honestly, I'm happier that it's Latin America because they're closer to where I live. Uh, I would have to go across the Atlantic ocean to get to, you know, to do anything with, with Africa. And, and I, as a te- growing up Texan, I understand Latin Latin America via Mexico better than I understand any of the countries in in Africa. So I'm glad that our southern neighbors have decided to start doing this. Nobody knows what's going to happen. All right, this could be an interminable uh, source of fud. It could it could be a fud fountain. I don't know. It could be really great if they do, if they do what they say they're going to do and tell the IMF to go get bent that they're just going to start doing this shit themselves and stop taking handouts because that's how the IMF gets you under the thumb is they give you all this, they just print money, you know, they have their member, you know, central banks print money and then they give that money as aid to all these countries and it keeps them poor. That's what that aid does. That aid is not designed to lift them out of poverty and if you think it is, you're fooling yourself. This is exactly how they enslave entire countries, right? The one thing that they do want to do that is necessary for these countries moving forward into the future is to very well piss off the IMF. You don't want to be friends with the IMF. That's like trying to make friends with your slaver. So salute to all those guys. And it gets better because a couple of people have logged exactly who in Central America has donned laser eyes and or said something positive about what's going on in El Salvador or about Bitcoin. So um, El Salvador, we've got clearly the president, but we've also got Monica Tayer, 
and she is the Tech and Economics International Affairs for the government of El Salvador. So she's up there. Now, from Paraguay, we've got Carlitos Rejala, who is, I, I can't remember, I don't think he's the president, but uh, Panama, we got Gabriel Silva, or Silva. Uh, let's see, what, uh, yeah, okay, and then Argentina, we have, let's see, Francisco Sanchez. From Brazil, we have Fabio Osterman. And Colombia now, we've got uh, Jay Castros, it looks like. He's an advisor for the president down there in Colombia. Now, in Mexico, we have two. We have Eduardo Mirat Hinojosa. Uh, not sure what he's doing with the Mexican government, but he's in there somewhere. And then we've got Indira Kempis, and she is a senator down there in uh, Mexico. And almost all these guys have, have donned laser eyes and or saying positive things about the developments in El Salvador or Bitcoin. So uh, it's almost as if, I mean, I, I didn't expect it to go this fast. It's only been like, it's been, it was 24 hours since El Salvador said something. And then all of a sudden I got not one, not two, but six Latin American countries fixing to let's fucking go. I mean, they might, that's what they might as well do. They might as well all tweet out from all the cabinet members all at the same time that just says LFG. Bitcoin and leave every, leave all the, the garbage behind. Leave the IMF. Stop worrying about what the World Economic Forum has to say. Stop worrying about what Lagarde has to say. Central and South America can become their own powerhouse. They don't need us. They don't need Africa. They don't need China. They don't need Australia. The, all they need is themselves. If they group together, you're going to see one of the most powerful regions form right in front of your eyes and it will be in the form of South America, Central America. Now, I, personally, I can't fucking wait. I can't wait. Let's fucking go, man. Now, Kenyan banks warn customers about buying crypto. So <clears throat> it appears that Africa as a nation, or at least in Kenya, but I think it's going to be a, a theme in, in Africa that they are going to be want, they're going to want to be behind uh, Latin America in general. And the operative word is they're going to be behind. <clears throat> so this is out of Coindesk. Jamie Crawley is uh, writing it. A number of banks in Kenya have issued alerts to customers who use debit or credit cards to buy crypto, such as Bitcoin on exchanges. Some of the banks advise customers not to buy, hold, or trade cryptocurrencies. One of them, NCBA Bank Kenya, sent a cautionary email to customers who have transacted in crypto in the past. Quote, Virtual currencies such as Bitcoin are not legal tender in Kenya, NCBA said in an email cited by Bitcoin K, uh, or Bitcoin KE. Quote, no protection therefore exists for you as our customer in the event that the platform holding or trading the cryptocurrency fails or goes out of business. <laughs> End quote. The warning copies one from Kenya's central bank in 2015, advising banks and other businesses against dealing in cryptocurrency. Nonetheless, trading in crypto remains popular digital asset marketplace Paxful announced in December that it was partnering with remittance network BitLipa to enable buying and selling of Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Tether for Kenyan nationals. Nice. Oh, oh, I, the another, last thing that we need to talk about uh, with the El Salvador thing is that a news story is dropping that one of their, econo their uh, minister of economics for um, uh, El Salvador stated that Bitcoin is not going to replace the U.S. dollar. All right. Some people are pointing at that as FUD. Don't. Of course, Bitcoin is not going to replace the U.S. dollar in the short term in a dollarized country like El Salvador. The dollar is legal tender in El Salvador. It's not under the table. It's not black market money like it is like if you get caught with dollars in some countries, you go to jail. But in El Salvador, they're, they're just like, screw it. And, and they, went, they went all in on the dollar. And now they're going to start doing Bitcoin. Do you think that it was automatically going to push the dollar out? No, it takes time for the conversion process. So the people that are using that as FUD, call them out for the scammers that they are and just go on about your day. Now, let's see here. Obi Nwosu is the CEO, co-founder of CoinFloor. He does a, I don't know, basically every week he, he writes a small essay and I like reading them because he's a terrific author. Let's start with this one. Never enough. 
Plenty of people fancy themselves a Frank Sinatra or Celine Dion, especially after a few drinks, but I don't need a stiffener to get me up on the mic. I love karaoke, and on any given Thursday evening, you'll hear me singing classics such as I Want It That Way, Don't Stop Believing, and even the Disney classic Let It Go. Oh my God, Obi. I don't care whether my friends or other patrons give me the thumbs up or null points for me. What matters is doing the songs justice by belting them out with belief. But of all my party pieces, my, fa- my by far my favorite is Never Enough from the musical spectacular The Greatest Showman. And it was during a recent rendition that I realized how relevant this ballad is to the Bitcoin debate. Because nothing is ever enough for Bitcoin's detractors. Whatever we do, they'll always want more. The red That red herring about dirty Bitcoin... We could show them receipts that the entire network is 100% renewable, sourced, and they'd come up with complaints about commercial waste from the production of mining equipment. They'd probably tweet it from their rare earth-powered mobile vehicles too. Or, or devices, rare earth-powered mobile devices. Or, were the time and cost of Bitcoin transactions to fall to pennies and seconds, they'll move the goalpost again, asking why it's not a matter of milliseconds, or why it's not a matter of milliseconds or fractions of a cent. There are two ways of looking at it. We can either give it the full Chris Crocker, leave Bitcoin alone, or we can recognize it for the unintended compliment that it is. If Bitcoin wasn't a threat to the old orthodoxies, there would be no point in attacking it. And if our revolution was really heading in the wrong direction, surely it would be better to leave us to make mistakes without being interrupted. Just because Bitcoin will never be enough to its detractors does not mean we should smile and roll our eyes. The steady drip drip of new demands that Bitcoin be greener or faster or more fungible is not meant to convince the converted, but to dissuade new entrants. The strategy is simple but effective. Set up a straw man, construct a false narrative, sow uncertainty. The goal is to keep as many people trapped in a failing financial system as possible, but Bitcoin has its own version of never enough. Our incredible, insatiable, evangelical desire to dispel malicious myths and educate people. Yes, we're just as guilty of wanting more. If we weren't so ambitious, we'd be happy with Bitcoin's current status as a rival to gold. Trusted by ordinary savers and major institutions alike as a store of value, but that doesn't satisfy us. We won't rest until Bitcoin is the reserve currency of the world. After that, well, we'll shoot for the moon and then Mars once Elon opens a bus service. So there are two sides to never enough. But which way up will the coin land? That's an easy one. It's a question of heads we win, tails they lose. It's always more powerful to say what you're for than what you're against. But that's especially true in this particular case. Just look at what Bitcoin's detractors are opposed to. They're against financial self-sovereignty. They're against innovation and against people's privacy. What, and what are they for? Inflation, centralization, and control. Small wonder they'd rather distract attention from their unedifying vision of the future by moving the goalposts for Bitcoin. My message to Bitcoiners is simple. Let our implacable opponents dream up new, increasingly obscure reasons why we'll never win. Fight the untruths and misrepresentations wherever you see them and know that we've got something even more powerful than Bitcoin's technical brilliance on our side, the philosophy of freedom and self-sovereignty. And while our opponents seek smaller and smaller reasons to attack Bitcoin, continue to dream big and sing Bitcoin's praises at the top of your lungs because we're not on the road to Bitcoin mediocrity. Even hegemony won't be enough. Like I said, man, Obi's a great writer. I, I just, I just, I just love the guy. Hey, let's run numbers. CNBC.com forward slash markets. <clears throat> Why? Because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this after the markets have opened, so I don't need to look at futures and commodities. Why am I being late with this, by the way? Uh, might as well get into it right now. Uh, it's summer. Kids are out of school. And I was, you know, I usually get up at five to do this because the kids got to be, you know, I had to be able to do it sometime. And it was just best to do it that early. So right now I'm kind of on a on more of a summer schedule. So things are going to move around. I'm, you know, sorry, but the kids are, you know, are out of school. And it's just easier for me to figure out when to do it when I can do it during the day. Anyway, so. 
major indices pretty much sideways right now. I mean, we're talking like fractions of a percent up or down. The world is mixed. The American markets are generally up, but like I said, it's just complete sideways. Uh, and all the Asian markets seem to be down. Uh, Shanghai index is down 0.5%, and that's like the largest mover. Everything else is like 0 0.02, 0 0.04. It's just not even worth it. So complete sideways going on there. Uh, all the bonds has had their yields pushed down. The 30-year is at 2.21%. The 10-year is at 1.53%. Oil seems to be kicking ass again today, as well as its brother natural gas. $69.66 for one barrel of West Texas Intermediate. That is a 0.62% change to the upside. Natural gas coming in at $3.18 for 1,000 cubic feet. That is 3.5% to the upside. So natural gas, I guess, is just doing what natural gas always does and swings for the fences either way. Uh, Bitcoin is at 32,034.91. Okay, so $32,034.91. 250,000 transactions uh, performed in the last 24 hours. That's getting to be a little bit like more normal of what I normally see. Uh, we have 10,500 transactions on average per hour with 1.4 million BTC being sent around the world in the last 24 hours. That's 58,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with 5.5 BTC being the average transaction value. And the median transaction value has increased from yesterday to 0 0.027 BTC or about $864. Block times are a bit low, nine minutes and 44 seconds. We have two, or sorry, 0.25 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 37 and a half BTC overall in fees in the last 24 hours. With a six and a quarter percent dip in hash rate, we are back down to 143 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, which is holding at 30 cents, 30 pennies for a complete shit show, whatever. I don't care anymore. Uh, Clark Moody dashboard, we have dipped under $600 billion in market cap. We are now at only 4.86% of gold's market cap, and we can only get 16.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,730,054 BTC. There are, wow, mempools cleared 3,244 transactions waiting on six blocks to clear. Do your coin joins now, people. Uh, we have, in fact, let's see, what, where, where am I at? Oh, Clark Moody's got a price of 32035 so that coincides. The percentage of Tor capacity on the Lightning Network has fallen to 63.1%. Overall, in the Lightning Network, there are 1,464.74 BTC. That has a capacity value of $46.9 million, being run over 11,793 nodes. We are, wow, God, 48,842 total channels that we can see on the Lightning Network. Holy crap. Taproot's going to activate, guys. It's just, I don't see, all the miners would have to shut down signaling Taproot at this point. We only have, we'll see, we need 457 additional signaling blocks to lock in Taproot, but I just, I, I'm, I'm saying it, I'm calling it out right here. Taproot's going to lock in this difficulty period. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of what's going to be the afternoon roundup by the time you guys get it. Bitcoin outflow in seven months. A reason to cheer. Oh, wait a minute. That's not the full, the full headline. Sorry, it was blocked. Crypto exchanges see the biggest Bitcoin outflow in seven months. Is it a reason to cheer? Omkar Godbull is going to tell us. Maybe we should. I don't know. This is out of Coindesk.com, by the way. So you know, take it with a grain of salt. With the price of Bitcoin off almost 50% from its all-time high, bullish traders are hanging their hopes on fresh data points that might show that the market is nearing a bottom, a big surge in outflows of the cryptocurrency from exchanges. While it's too early to tell if the outflows will be sustained, the data might indicate that some traders are satisfied with the current price and have no intention of liquidating their Bitcoin on the exchanges. In the logic of cryptocurrency markets, <laughs> logic, 
the traders might be moving their coins to wallets, custody, or cold storage while awaiting the price of Bitcoin to rebound. Crypto exchanges registered a net outflow of 22,550 BTC on Monday, the biggest single day net drain since November the 2nd, 2020, according to data provider Glassnode. The blockchain analytics firm tracks flow from 13 cryptocurrency exchanges, including Binance, Coinbase, and Kraken. Quote, the outflow can be best described as multifaceted, bordering on hodling, and the use case of digital currency in decentralized finance. Peter Kozyakov, co-founder and CEO of the global payment network Mercurio, told Coindesk, uh, the number of Bitcoins held in exchange wallets fell to a three-week low of 2.54 million from 2.56 million. Investors typically move coins from exchanges to wallets, taking out liquid supply from the market when they intend to buy and hold in anticipation of price rallies. Quote, investors appear to be storing their assets in hardware wallets with anticipation that the current drop in price will balance out for the new price runs toward and above its previous all-time high, he said, Kazakov said. Some investors take direct custody of Bitcoin and tokenize the coins on the Ethereum blockchain to earn extra yield. I'm not even going to read the rest of that paragraph. Quote, uh, no, no, I'm not going to read that one either because we're talking about DeFi. This is bullshit. It goes into DeFi. Hold on. I don't want to, I want to spare you guys that, that shit. All things considered, the latest outflow of Bitcoin from centralized exchange paints a bullish picture. However, Jason Dean, an analyst at Quantum Economics, called for a cautious approach. Quote, the market is currently lacking direction. Sentiment is mixed and many metrics are reporting lower demand. So this traditionally bullish signal should be interpreted with caution. And in the context of other indicators, Dean said, I actually agree with that. Bitcoin is currently trading near $33,000, representing a 1% drop on the day. The price fell by 35% in May on environmental concerns and China's regulatory crackdown, you know, your basic FUD. While exchange outflows have picked up, demand from whale entities, those with sizable holdings, remain muted at best, while the supply held by entities holding 1,000 to 10,000 coins have increased by 35,000 BTC to 4.18 million this month, the tally remains below the May 24th high of 4.186 million. A mark, or sorry, a sustained increase in supply held by whale entities may be needed to restore the battered market confidence. The balance held by these large investors rose in tandem with the price throughout the bull run from October 2020 to April 2021. So there, I, I actually agree with this Dean guy. You should be cautious. The market does not look like it has a direction. And, and the reason that is, in my opinion, is that way too many conflicting things came out all at once. It's, it's hard to reconcile a market that is competing with Latin America starting to don laser eyes and China regulating you know, their, their miners out of existence to the point that some are running to Kazakhstan, as we'll see in, in a later story. But I mean, between just those two, that's that there's a tension there. And what's caught in the middle is the market, that the price of Bitcoin is caught in the middle of very bullish news and very bearish news. I don't know. I don't know who wins, but in the long term, Bitcoin always wins. So just be careful. I've I've told a buddy of mine weeks ago because he was asking if it was the time to buy buy Bitcoin. And I told him, no. Not because I'm bearish, but just because everything was indicating to me that we were in a no trade zone. So when, and what I mean by telling him not to buy Bitcoin, I basically told him, look, just DCA. Don't worry about buying a hoard. Don't worry about figuring out what kind of percentage of your wealth that you, you know, wealth in, in dollar terms that you can let go of so that you can purchase Bitcoin all at once. Don't, I, I, I haven't done that. I rarely do that. I've done that a couple of times, but I've rarely done that. The, um, the great guts and feathers of all the Bitcoin that I have is just for DCA. And I just try not to spend it. That's, and I've just accumulated more and more Satoshis over time. I mean, I'm not a Bitcoin billionaire or anything like that. I wish I was. I wish I had bought it for, you know, when it was a dime but I probably would have lost it on Mount Gox now, wouldn't I? Okay, so with that said, let's get into this one. Tim Wu, the father of net neutrality, reportedly owns over $1 million in Bitcoin. 
uh, Osato Avendamayo is going to write this one for Cointelegraph. Uh, you'll understand what's going on here in a sec. Cryptocurrencies might be anathema for certain members of United States President Joe Biden's administration, but that hasn't stopped one staffer from owning a small fortune in Bitcoin. According to a report by Political, Politico on Monday, Tim Wu, Special Assistant for Technology and Competition Policy to the President at the National Economic Council, owns over $1 million in Bitcoin. Wu's BTC ownership came to light after a recent personal financial disclosure that also revealed his ownership of, get, get this, Filecoin. Uh, Wu reportedly owns between $1 million and $5 million worth of Bitcoin, as well as between $100,000 and $250,000 worth of Filecoin. The White House advisor's Bitcoin pot allegedly constitutes a major portion of Wu's financial portfolio, which is estimated to be between $4 million and $11.5 million in value. Based on his estimated Bitcoin ownership, Wu may hold between 29 and 146 BTC. Oh man, just doxed his ass. Wu, a prominent legal scholar and Columbia University law professor, has previously argued against Bitcoin's value proposition. Back in December of 2018, Wu joined the chorus of critics labeling BTC a bubble as the premier cryptocurrency rallied to a then all-time high of $20,000. The legal scholar is also a noted critic of big tech firms and was responsible for coining the term net neutrality back in 2003. According to Politico, an anonymous source at the White House said Wu has recused himself from policy matters related to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Back in August of 2017, Wu weighed in on the Bitcoin hard fork, hard fork saga that led to the emergence of Bcash. At the time, Wu criticized Coinbase's initial decision to not support the fork and temporarily prevent its users from accessing BCH. Bitcoin and crypto in general are coming under increased scrutiny under the Biden administration with the new anti-BTC narrative seemingly shifting toward ransomware attacks. Both Gary Gensler, chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission and Treasury Secretary Janet the Yellen Felon, or sorry, Janet the Felon Yellen, have hinted at stricter cryptocurrency regulations. Yeah, that's a new, another piece of FUD is that the uh, uh, IRS chief is is asking Congress for the authority, the congressional authority to regulate crypto out of the out of the uh, IRS. So I, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a fun piece of fud. It's not going to stop, guys. It's not going to stop. Just like 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 I see a whole bunch of people that are going. If Bitcoin goes all the way to zero, as long as it gets rid of the altcoins, I'd be fine with that. Oh BS, you ain't fine with it. And guess what? It could it, if it did go to zero the altcoins would bounce right back with the price just as, as Bitcoin bounces back. You're not getting rid of them. I don't mean embrace them. Still call them out as frauds and Ponzi's and, you know, like, you know, scam vehicles for, you know, people like Vitalik Buterin. But don't for a second think that they're going to go away. They are actually going to be used as attack vectors on Bitcoin. And we're already seeing that with Ethereum. And I knew that shit was on the horizon a couple of years ago, which is one of the reasons why I can't stand Ethereum but it's not going to go away. And neither is Bitcoin. But all, for all the people that are screaming for a massive price dip to shake out all the all the scummy altcoins, no, all you're going to do is just have to wait a lot longer for Bitcoin to, to get you what you want out of life. I don't know. But stop, please stop saying stuff like that on Twitter. It's just, it's annoying, honestly. Now, the head of Bitstamp in the United States departs to join Castle Island Ventures. <laughs> Honestly, this is so cool. Uh, Jamie Crawley has this for Coindesk. Hunter Mergert, Bitstamp's head of, head of operations in the U.S., is leaving the company to join early-stage crypto fund Castle Island Ventures. Mergert has been tapped by Castle Island Ventures as an executive in residence and venture partner. Megert announced on this on his Twitter page Tuesday. He joined Bitstamp in April of 2019, becoming the company's first U.S. employee after he had spent a year as head of trading for Coinbase, of all things. Megert previously worked at Barclays and RBC Capital Markets. In February, Castle Island Ventures raised $50 million for its second fund from high net worth individual family offices and others. In April, Manali Batura who was research director at Fidelity Digital Assets, joined Castle Island Ventures as a principal. All right, why am I going on about Castle Island Ventures? Because that's Nick Carter's outfit, dude. The most violent man on the planet. Yes, that Nick Carter. 
yeah, he's he's apparently he's on the on the prowl again and looking to to in, inflict even more damage upon the world by getting Hunter Murgert to come over to Castle Island Ventures and hang out with him and the rest of his evil cadre of viciousness. Bitcoin mining manufacturer Kanan expands to Kazakhstan. It's happening. You're just, all China's doing is blowing off their own feet one toe at a time. God dang, Scott Cipollina's got it for decrypt. Canaan, a Bitcoin mining machine manufacturer based in China, has set up its first overseas center in Kazakhstan. Well, wasn't that fast? Canaan reportedly said the center would help provide local customers with services after the point of sale. Such services would include machine testing and maintenance, technical services, and warranty services. Quote, the establishment of the service center in Kazakhstan is strategic in expanding our after-sales geographical coverage and providing faster and easier access to support our growing international customer base, Kanan CEO and Chairman Nang Zhang Zhang reportedly told the blog. Kazakhstan has a large share of the crypto mining industry relative to other countries. According to Cambridge University, Kazakhstan controls just over 6% of the world's Bitcoin mining industry. This places the country in the fourth spot, trailing China, which commands 65% of Bitcoin mining industry alone, the United States, and Russia. What's more, Kazakhstan's share of the Bitcoin mining market has been growing steadily. In the third quarter of 2019, Kazakhstan only held 1.4% of the Bitcoin mining industry, and you might as well just say hash rate at that point. Keeping it outside of the top five countries by market share, it has since overtaken Malaysia and Iran. Kanan has been a major beneficiary of the crypto mining boom in Kazakhstan. By April, the company had already filed, filled its order book for Bitcoin and crypto mining machines well into 2022. Between April and October of 2020, the company's share price had risen by nearly 1,000%. The move to Kazakhstan and other countries make up what many are describing as a mining exodus out of China. Witness regulatory arbitrage. In May, authorities in Inner Mongolia, a popular region for miners due to its cheap electricity, said that miners who continue operating would be blacklisted from the country's social credit system. This is a result of a broader countrywide crackdown on Bitcoin mining. Yeah, wait till they try to stop, you know, Chinese people actually getting out of China. Not just their wealth, but them themselves. It's going to happen. If the exodus continues, the beatings will start to commence and they will continue until morale improves. That's the way China rules their people. This is why I'm not interested in ever going to China. I could give one rat's ass about that country right now. Okay, South Korea looks like it may have had its fill. Uh, South Korea's crypto exchanges balk at further restrictions. Andrew Asmakov has it for decrypt. South Korea's financial regulator is set to ban local cryptocurrency exchanges from executing transactions without recording them News agency Newsys reported on Sunday. At a closed-door meeting last week that was attended by as many as 20 South Korean crypto exchanges, the country's Financial Services Commission outlined a stipulation that exchanges must meet if they are to keep operating in that country. The rule would ban cross-trading, the practice of executing buy and sell orders for the same asset at the same price without recording transactions. To keep earning money from cross-trading, exchanges would have to open businesses dedicated to converting crypto to fiat. Exchanges don't like the sound of that rule. Running these businesses would be expensive, they've complained, and banning cross-trading trading would put them out of business. However, the FSC believes that restricting cross-trading would prevent exchanges from manipulating prices and ensure that operators don't receive information before their clients. Small businesses have previously complained that the licenses are too expensive to obtain and that only a handful of wealthier exchanges can afford to meet the stringent requirements of the FSC. This is why regulators exist, to make sure that their friends get wealthy and that their enemies die and suffer. Okay. Either way, exchanges have until September the 24th to apply for a license, and if they can't comply, they're out. It just means that they'll go to another country, and they'll leave South Korea. They'll just leave. And they'll take all their clients with them. And they'll open up in Malta or Gibraltar or the, the United States. Because the United States doesn't seem particularly, uh, you know, chomping at the bit to kill Bitcoin, especially with all the states like Texas and Florida and, and you know, Ohio and a couple other ones. Wyoming is most notable. 
uh, getting into Bitcoin. So I'm not sure the United States is, I, I would, for at least for the time being, I would count the United States out. Uh, they're not out of the, out of the FUD generation, but I just don't see them. I don't, I don't see them making it painful for people to operate. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just a holdover from the fact that once upon a time we were actual capitalists and not, you know, a bunch of purple hair, you know, purple breathing weirdos that just are just weird. Sorry. It's been a long morning. Um, that in fact is going to end the, uh, well, what is now the afternoon roundup. The show is shorter than normal today. I apologize for that. It's just it's just the way it rolled out this morning. Um, we got to get on about our day. We got to forget the FUD. Bitcoin's going to do what Bitcoin's going to do. Regulators are going to regulate what they want to regulate or what can be regulated. Latin America seems to be coming on board. Africa wants to stay behind in the old legacy financial situation for as long as humanly possible. And the rest of the world is essentially gone insane act accordingly. We do have time for a joke though. I've got a condition which causes me to make terrible puns. It's a dadly disease. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nothing like a bad old dad joke. Okay. If you want to support the show, listen to it on Breeze Wallet. Just go over to Breeze Wallet, B-R-E-E-Z. No, they are not a sponsor of the show, but it is a way that you can help support the show by getting the Breeze Wallet, dumping some Satoshis into it, and hitting their podcast app, which is inside the, the Breeze Wallet. It's like a little microphone. And then search for Bitcoin and dot, dot, dot. Actually, it's space dot, space dot, space dot. The true ellipses, right? Um, and listen to it and you can stream me Satoshis. Those Satoshis do not go to a third party before they get to me. They come directly to me. And in fact, they go directly to my node by the good people at my node BTC uh, on Twitter at my node BTC. It goes right to my lightning wallet. Okay. Nobody, I mean, the only people that get to see those Satoshis before I get to see those Satoshis are other lightning node operators that are in the chain from you to me. So if you want to support the show, that's a great way to do it. Also, five-star reviews on Apple iTunes uh, is a great way to start and or do it and then share and, you know, share and, and tweet out, you know, shows as I release them. And that would be great. Hell, man, we're going to be okay. You know how I know? Because I see, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.